Book club. Book club this time. The feel-good effect. See all my Kirsten notes? The feel-good effect. So this author, Robin Conley Downs, reached out to me and asked if we would do this as a book club book. And I said, of course, sure. We would love that. And uh, I have to tell you, this book was a great reminder of ways I've kind of gotten off track. Um, she talks about goal setting, reverse engineering goals. She talks about um, thinking patterns and how they make you fatigued, um, how to kind of approach things from a point of view of joy. And uh, I, I got a lot out of this book. We have a good discussion about, you know, the things that we kind of were reminded of. I don't know that I learned anything crazy new. I don't know that I had any like, aha, I've never thought of that before. It was more like, oh, yeah, yeah, that does work. And let me go back and do that again. Um, so I found it very valuable. And I think uh, Kirsten and Kathy did as well. So read it if you haven't already, if you're interested. And uh, maybe it will help you feel good too. Feel good effect. Um, so the next book club we are doing is called The Wife Upstairs by Rachel Hawkins. This is a novel. I don't know that we've ever book clubbed a novel. We've always only done self-help and um, memoirs. So it's going to be going to be interesting book club. Uh, this is a play, uh, a modern take on Jane Eyre. So if anybody's ever read Jane Eyre or is a big Bronte fan, maybe we're going to check this out and see. <laughs> See how this person interprets a modern day Jane Eyre. I'm kind of looking forward to it because I love Jane Eyre. Thank you, everybody, for showing up every week. Thank you so much for sharing my podcast with your friends. Thank you for all your emails. I may not respond to all of them, but I actually read all of them. So thank you very much for all your comments. I, I love the episode idea suggestions. Um, as you know, I talk to people that I know typically. So sometimes when you ask me for a topic, it may take me some time to find somebody who I can talk to about that topic. Like someone just asked me to talk about um, borderline personality disorder. Happy to, would love to. I don't know anybody that has that experience in their life yet. So I may have to dig around and figure out who has a parent, a sibling that has a borderline personality disorder and then see if I can get them to have a conversation about it. I've been dying to have a conversation about um, being a person who lives with a person that has extreme anxiety and OCD. Um, so I've got to find somebody who lives with somebody like I live with <laughs> that has extreme anxiety and OCD, because I think there's so many conversations. We can have lots of conversations about their experience, but I think we should have conversations about my experience, which is, um, complex and just as valuable. So I'm working on some stuff. I'm just having a hard time finding my peeps in the neighborhood to have conversations about. So keep your suggestions coming is my point. I will try to find someone in my neighborhood to talk to about this stuff. So anyway, uh, the wife upstairs, read it if you want, and you can book club with us. And uh, thank you again so much for coming back every week. And I don't know what next week's episode is going to be about. Oh, I think it's the Drop Squad. That'll be fun. So come back next week for sure. And stay safe. I wrote
the New York Times this morning I get um we subscribe to the Sunday Times and uh I get a digital New York Times every day just like a hey here's what's happening not the whole newspaper um and it scared me it scared me today I don't know if you guys have read that but it was talking I about saw, yeah. the how infectious everything is and how overrun the hospitals are and it kind of scared me The fact that they're rationing oxygen is terrifying, right? Like, yeah. I mean, and what a shitty position for like another human to be in, like for a doctor to have to make that choice. Like that's so awful. And for paramedics to have to make that choice because paramedics are told to ration, but also if they can't resuscitate a heart attack victim on site with it, they only get 20 minutes of CPR. Yeah. And then don't come. And then they call it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's terrible. It's a scary place. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, and, and how, uh, I guess the vaccines are not rolling out as smoothly or as well as promised. So how crazy not to mention everything that's going on with Mr. Trump. <laughs> that's a whole nother podcast, right? <laughs> Jesus, Mary and Joseph. Yeah, that's like 10 podcasts worth. <laughs> so much to say. I'm curious to know why Mr. Pence won't invoke the 25th Amendment. But why? What's his reasoning? If if the Senate voted for it, isn't he part of the Senate, the head of the Senate? No, the Senate didn't vote for it, though. The oh. House of Representatives did. Oh, it was the House. Yeah. He, I read his letter, and now I'm trying to remember what his exact reasoning was. Oh, no, I didn't see a letter. Where was this letter? It was posted, the letter he sent to Nancy Pelosi about why he wasn't going to do it. Um, I didn't see that letter. And it actually was not entirely uh, unreasonable. It was oh, basically really? like, the. I think it was, and don't quote me on this, it was that it is basically saying if, he's unfit. And what he is saying is that he may have done something shitty, but that doesn't necessarily translate to unfit. And this would be overstepping the constitution, what it had in mind when it was written. Uh, Got it. Like, yeah, (laughs) you can argue every side of that, but yeah, I think that was what his reasoning was. A little too much gray for him. Yeah. Too much gray area. So. So I guess Mr. Trump didn't actually say, bring your guns to the Capitol. (laughs) Go storm right now. It's not that clear cut. Yeah, it's not that clear cut. What he said in everything I've read that they quoted of Mr. Trump, he didn't say storm the the Capitol. It was not explicit. Right. Exactly. 
it was all implied and inferred and everybody mm-hmm. took it as what he meant, but nothing was emphatic. So, okay. Yes. But years of, um, Lunacy. stirring up. Yeah. Yeah. Stirring up people that, I mean, I mean, that was his intent. Yeah. Words have consequences. Yeah. They do. Crazy time. Yep. So uh, I, I didn't really intend to talk about this, but <laughs> what did you feel when you saw what was happening at the Capitol? What did you, what did you feel? What was your feelings? Not your thoughts or your opinions. How did it make you feel? I mean, you know, I had this conversation. I cried. Like, like I couldn't actually watch it at first because I just got so emotional and I'm not entirely sure why, but I was so disturbed. Like it literally brought tears to my eyes. And I've talked to a couple of people who have said that. And I was like, okay, so maybe I'm not so crazy, but no, same, same. No, I was, cried also. Yeah. So what, what would, what would be, how did it make you feel like defeated, despondent, disappointed? I was scared and not like physically scared for me, like being in Los Angeles, like, you know, I wasn't that scared, but I was scared Mm. about what that meant Mm -hmm. for our country, for people, for humanity. Like, I don't know. I just, I think that's my first emotion that I realized was I was scared. Mm-hmm. What about you, Kirsten? How did it make you feel? Yeah, anxious. Um, just, and again, same as Kathy, like not for my physical safety um, mm-hmm. right now, but just um, just a huge sense of unease and, um, and also kind of embarrassment. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was embarrassed um, to be associated, to be... It, for all of the other countries in the world. I think this country often has such a um, myopic view and it's just like all about like we're the center of the world, but there are 192 other countries in the world. And I just thought about all of them watching this on, um, on, t- on TV and reading the news and just thinking this is embarrassing. Yeah. It's funny. I was actually thinking, about my kids, because we keep having these conversations. Like this isn't normally how it works. This isn't how it goes. And my kids are like, but I was too young to remember when Obama was elected. I was too young. Like I didn't really get it when he was elected the second time, like their first election was this. So they don't know that this isn't normal. And that's terrifying. Yeah. That is pretty terrifying. Like they're growing up thinking like, oh, this is how it works. Like, no, no, this is so not how it works. And yeah, it's, it's interesting to see from their perspective because they have not experienced anything else but craziness, really. Like right. in this age group, they weren't aware enough at that point, you know? Right. Yeah. They that's were 12 when he yeah. was elected. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah, that's an interesting point, actually. Yeah. That's kind of a scary point. Yeah. Um, yeah, I felt uh, the same. I cried and I kept thinking, why am I crying about this? But I was so upset. It was so upsetting. And I think it triggered something from 9-11 for me. Um, even though obviously this is not the same, there's no massive loss of life. There's no, you know, in some ways it can't even be compared, but I think it triggered that in me. 
Like I was so distraught during 9-11, distraught. And I, I just went straight to distraught. I was just like, I couldn't, I couldn't get, I couldn't do anything else for that day. All I could do was watch it. And uh, yeah, I think it triggered something uh, that, that happened to me in 9-11 that day. Um, and I got really, really angry, uh, very, very angry. I spent, after I felt distraught, after I cried, I was actually at our, here in this studio working. When it happened, Bert um, texted me, are you watching the news? And I wasn't, I was doing something else. And I put on the news and I got very upset here and started crying here and then cried on the way home. And then when I turned the TV on, I just got more and more angry. And I wasn't even angry at the protesters. I was angry at our elected officials for allowing this to get so off in a ditch. That's what was making me angry. I think there are people who could have done something, said, even just said something, even just stood up and go, you know what? This election was fair in November. There is no voter fraud. We can investigate, but let's kind of just take it back a notch. And I don't feel like anybody really did that that was in alignment with Trump. Do you know what I mean? Like none of his people were responsible, or not his people, but anybody in the Republican Party could have stood up strongly and said, I believe this election was fair. Now we're going to go through the investigation so that we can quell any any concerns but I really believe this is a fair. No one did that. And I was like, that to me is almost as egregious as what Mr. Trump did is to not have someone stand up and say, can we pump the brakes here? This is not how our country works. This is not how democracy works. We are doing this by the letter and whatever he's saying is inaccurate. But know what? That made me more angry than anything. Um, even more angry than the people storming the Capitol. That for whatever reason, that was what my brain hung up on, where I was like, why, why aren't our leaders leading? What's well, a lack of integrity? It's such a lack of integrity. You know, like that's what's so disappointing mm-hmm. and distressing, I think. Like, does nobody have any moral compass? Yeah. Yeah. We can't say nobody, though, because there have been a lot of people on the other side who have been ringing a bell for a long, long time no, no, no. screaming. But, yes. Yeah. But that doesn't matter because they don't speak to the people who stormed the Capitol. Yeah. No, I understand what you're saying. Anyway. I understand what you're saying, but I'm just saying it's not like nobody has. True. No, it's not like yeah. nobody. No, what I what I I hear you. What I meant was no one in alignment with the no one that yeah. the people who stormed the castle would have castle. The Capitol would have listened <laughs> That's to. That's basically you. what it is, though. They stormed the castle. That's what they yeah, felt that yeah. they were doing. They did. Mm-hmm. It was ridiculous. And I was like, where is, where is Mr. Mitch McConnell? Why hasn't he been saying, you know what? Let's pump the brakes. <laughs> what, or let us do our job. Like the second in command. Why didn't he say, hey, you know what? This is fair. Why did he wait till the day before to be like, oh yeah, this was a fair election. That was my anger. Yeah. That's where my anger lied. Because yes, Democrats have been yelling forever that this is, Fine, that the emperor has no clothes. What I kept saying all day was half the people have been saying the emperor has no clothes, and the other half have been going, Oh no, he totally he's got on like tidy whities. 
So that that qualifies as clothes. And you're like, no, it fucking doesn't. He has on, he's got no, he actually has no tidy whities. <laughs> well, I see a tidy whitey. I'm like, so why couldn't someone have stood up and gone? I agree. He's totally naked. But let's just, you know, get, I don't know. Anyway, that's what bothered me the most was that no one that those people who stormed the Capitol would have listened to stood up with a strong voice and said, let's calm down and do this the right way and get ourselves back on track. Anyway, should we talk about the feel good effect now? And here we are. (laughs) We need the feel good effect now. (laughs) So we book club this book, the feel good effect. This author, Robin Conley Downs reached out and asked if we would book club about this and she was going to join us, but I had a hard time reaching her. So um, that's okay. Um, the way the world is working now, who knows? She may have someone ill. She may, you know, I don't know. It's okay. But um, I'm glad we read the book. How did you ladies feel about it? I liked it. I did a Kirsten look. Oh, <laughs> nice. <laughs> I did a Leanne. <laughs> Downstairs. <laughs> I also have notes here. Kathy, <laughs> where's your homework? <laughs> I have a few. Oh, you do? Oh, good, oh, good. So tell me what you think about this book. Anybody? I want to know what Kathy thinks about it. I, like uh, you it. Know, <laughs> I really wanted to like this book, and there's a lot I did like about it. Mm-hmm. I found it very cumbersome. That's the only word I can come up with. Cumbersome. Um, yes. Hmm. Like, I like so much of what she had to say. I like a lot of the philosophy. And I like the fact that she was very specific. Like, if you want this, then do this, do this exercise. Mm-hmm. But then the exercise, I was like, are you kidding me? <laughs> like, write two boxes, write a word, five, then write five words around it. And then circle three of those words and then write arrows to those words and then write this and then do co- two concentric circles at the bottom of the page. I was like, what are you talking about? <laughs> Why is it so complicated? Um, when what you're saying is a tiny mind shift is what's needed. I'm like, oh, I'm on board with right. so much, but I felt like it just got mired in like all of these weird terminology. Like she's a new word for everything. Because there's the feel-good effect, but there's also the feel-good mindset, which is not the same thing as the feel-good effect. And then there's the middle mindset, and then there's the Velcro effect. And you're like, why? Why? That's I feel so like funny. Those criticisms, aren't those things that we've talked about, like, with a million, you know, uh, most of the self-help books that we've talked about yeah. that were like, oh, you know, lingo drags us down, and yeah. also the cumbersome, like, wordiness drags us down when it's mm-hmm. like okay, let's distill it into a pamphlet. And I am a hundred percent on board. Uh, right. I'm not sure it could be distilled into a pamphlet. Like yeah, I, I there was a lot that far. There was yeah. a lot. And I liked a lot of what she had to say, but she just really lost me. I, I mean, like I said, the very specific, like, this is what you do to get here is super helpful. Cause a lot of self-help yeah. books don't do that. Mm-hmm. But then the activities she had to do, I was like, yeah, I'm out. Sorry. That's so interesting. I, as I was reading the book going, I was kept thinking there's too much terminology. Like I can't keep up with the terminology. And yes. I think it's what you're talking about is the Velcro effect and the this effect and the that effect. And there was a little too much of that. I agree with you. I kind of have the same take. I thought it was, uh, a lot of it was reminders of stuff that I already knew. Uh, but isn't that what every self-help book is though? 
It's like there's no there are, there's no new information out there. It's like any of the good self help books are just reminding us what we already. You know, it's like it's just like. Um, are you saying we're just too old to have self help? <laughs> no, I'm just I'm saying like weight loss. If we all know that you need to eat less, move more. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like we know yes. that eating chips and ice cream isn't going to get us towards weight loss goals. Everybody knows that. Nobody doesn't know that unless you're like two years old. Well, you know? I'm waiting for that book to come out. But <laughs> I'm just saying that like, likewise, we, we essentially know all of this stuff. Not that she's, not that this is not relevant. I think it's actually very helpful, mm -hmm. but it's just like all of the self-help books need to be written to remind us of what we already know, because it's not, nothing is, it's not brain surgery. Nothing is brain surgery except for brain surgery. Right. <laughs> right. Know. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so where do we go from here? Now that we went, oh, there's too much. It's cumbersome. Blah. I no, disagree. Okay. I, I related to a lot of it. Um, I had trouble getting going uh, for whatever reason, like in the first 30 pages or whatever. It wasn't a criticism of the book. I just, um, that's so funny. The first few pages, I was like, oh my God, I totally relate to this woman. I like, I'm so in. And then all of a sudden she says something to the effect of like, so what I haven't told you, I'm in a doctoral program. I have my own health website and I started a podcast. I was like, okay. So like, you're just all of the stuff that you pretended you were not so much. You are this overachiever. Like I was really into her for a second. And then I was like, hmm, maybe not. Oh, I had the opposite response because I thought, okay, she's, this is coming from an overachiever and mm -hmm. saying that, you know, doing it all isn't the same as feeling good about it. Yes, that's definitely her message, certainly. But I don't know, she had me fooled for the first 10 pages or whatever it was. And then she was like, oh, by the way, I didn't actually tell you the whole truth. Here's the other side of me. What, were you like, hoping oh. that she was a hot mess? I was, yes. And <laughs> I feel better about myself. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was interested in uh, her saying that these methods that she came up with came from an educated place and not just a, like, hey, I just tried it to work for me, but from some actual research and some you know, some science behind it. I liked that. That was, I thought that was good. And that Same has to come from somebody who's, you know, a certain level of prof professional maybe, or, or educated or experienced, I don't know, in this arena. You know, I think one of us could write a book about this, but it may not be as legitimate to some people as mm -hmm. if someone has some kind of background in what they're talking about. I don't know. I, li I like the book. I, I read it very quickly. I found that even though I kept going another term, another terminology, it was a, it was easy to read. It wasn't hard to read. Um, she writes kind of in a spoken word way where it just sounds, you know, kind of flowed. And it's pretty. It is pretty. It's a really pretty book. Yes. It's a really pretty book. There's a lot yeah. of like just art. Yeah. Yes. It's really pretty. Yeah. It's really pretty. So highlights, she comes, she, uh, anything that struck you guys as something where you went, oh, I needed to hear that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I relate to this very much um, as a perfectionist and I liked that she also defined perfectionist because I think a lot of the time we think, well, I can't be a perfectionist because I'm not 
doing things perfectly. Like look at, and she used the example of like, look at my messy car, like look at my messy house or whatever it is that makes you a hot mess. Um, but defining that sometimes perfectionism is like, I'm not even going to start because I know that I don't have the time, energy, wherewithal, whatever to get it done to perfectly. And if I can't do something perfectly, then I just take myself out of it. And I related to that. It's not, you know, that's not a flattering um, observation, but you know, (laughs) still it's me. Um, And um, you know, some of the stuff like her, her ideas of combating that with self-compassion practices, that is a hundred percent Brene Brown um, who I really like and who is also super smart and has done her research. So um, it, you know, it tracks. I, it was like, okay, she, <laughs> she knows what she's talking about. Um, right. And also I'm hearing this from multiple sources. So maybe it's time to start. <laughs> <laughs> I, re- I res the perfectionism one uh, uh, resonated with me too, because I don't find myself to be some, it does somewhat. I, I was very confused in this as to who I was. I had elements of lots of these things, but not purely any of them. Yes. Same, same, same. You mean, are you talking about the the quiz at the end where it's like, are you type A, B, or C type? What is your archetype? Uh, Yes. I did the quiz and I had two of one thing, two of another. And one of the, I I was same. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's funny. Four of one thing and one of the other. Oh, you're a purist. I'm being very, yeah. What are you? And and what I, is kept going back, I kept going back because I was like, maybe I answered it wrong. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, I got that one wrong. <laughs> okay, so at the back of the book, there's a feel-good okay, effect know. archetype quiz that you're supposed to take. And that kind of, and then after that quiz, it kind of explains who, what that archetype is and kind of what your challenges are within that archetype. So I was two cultivators, two dynamos and a seeker. But then she says, you know, read all of them and whichever one really resonates with you is your archetype. So if you come up with multiple and everything's spread out, she said in that somewhere in here to just read them all and figure out which one is you. So I'm a dynamo. When I read them all, that I makes like, sense. Oh, I'm a dynamo. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say that's obvious. <laughs> yeah, I would describe you as a dynamo. Yeah. But some of these just didn't, I was like, I don't really care about some of this stuff she's asking the question about. That doesn't ever cross my mind, none of them. Yeah. So then yeah, I got to choose one that kind of sort of does. So I think that's Yeah, fine. so you can't say that it accurately re- represents you if it's like, eh, I don't really, yeah, I had that same experience. And when I read through all three of them, n- none of them resonated 100% with me. And I saw different things in each of them that I thought, oh, yeah, I can kind of relate to that. Yeah, I did too. So who are you guys? If I'm a dynamo, who are you, Kirsten? I don't know. That's the thing. I read through the three of them and I was like, I don't know. You're a hybrid. <laughs> hybrid. <laughs> Just like my car. <laughs> <laughs> Kathy, who are you? Uh, I had four cultivators and one dynamo. Interesting. What is a cultivator? Uh, Super conscientious person who cares a lot about others. No shit. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, it was relatively accurate, actually. I think it is you. Because I remember, I mean, I read it last night. Yeah. But yeah, 
I think you are a cultivator. When I read the Dynamo, you're most likely a highly motivated achiever who thrives on ticking items off the to-do list and being in charge. I was like, yeah, that's the part that I was like, 100%. (laughs) (laughs) I don't need to read anymore. That's me. (laughs) But then I did, I did read all three of them. And I was like, no, I'm definitely, I'm definitely that. Um, I have shades of the seeker and the cultivator definitely have shades of them. Yeah. But I am a to-do list motherfucker. (laughs) That's what I am. So was that helpful to you, this archetype? Did it help you in any way? It wasn't helpful to me because I didn't find mine. It was inconclusive. (laughs) But the book was helpful to me, though. So, and the, the quiz comes at the very end of the book. So it's not like, I mean, I had been doing the exercises uh, as I went through the book. Right. Um, so it's not like, I think if the quiz had been at the front of the book and I took it and was like, I don't know, I don't fit into anything. I might've, that might've put me off and made me think like this book isn't for me, right. but since it was at the end and I'd already so much resonated that I was just like, oh, okay, I, I guess I don't need this part of the book. Right. It's also interesting that the quiz doesn't actually relate too much in the book. Like she doesn't talk about these terms until you get to the quiz. Right. right? So none of this was really in the book. Like maybe the types were, but this in and of itself could almost be left out of the book and it wouldn't have changed anything. I agree with that. Mm-hmm. I totally agree with that. So um, which exercise did you get the most out of? Oh, let's see. None. <laughs> <laughs> I got I got a lot out of one of them. And I didn't get a lot out of the exercises. I'll be honest with you. I really didn't find them helpful at all. But the stuff she said regarding them, I, I found far more helpful than the actual pen to paper exercise. Right, right. Well, I did. The one that helped me the most was the, where is it? Um, the feel good vision. Mm-hmm. exercise. Which on one page, was that? This is on page 86. Here's all my post-it notes relating. <laughs> so this was a, this was an exercise. So you could kind of identify um, some, some words that represent how you want to feel, right? So she wants you to write 10 adjectives about how you want to feel. And then find your like top five. This is what you're talking about. And then, this is exactly what I'm talking about. And then the whys of the top five. She lost me at the whys of the top five. I was like, why do I want to feel rested? Obvious. Why do I want to feel accomplished? Obvious. Why do I want to feel obvious? That's kind of where I got stuck. But I did, I was able, and then she wants you to take your top five and go to your top three, right? And rank them in order. That was really helpful for me. And this is something that Kristen and Jocelyn have you do in, in your parenting stuff this type of pen to paper to get things kind of uh, ordered and organized so that you're clear on how you feel that I found the same uh, value in this exercise. Like my number one ended up being rested. I didn't realize how until I made this list of adjectives, how fatigued I feel most days. I didn't really think about it or realize that that was something that needed to be more of a priority for me. 
until I did this exercise. And I went, holy shit, everything, like I'm strongly feeling rested, like way more than any, I already feel accomplished. I already feel like my top three were happy, rested and accomplished. I'm pretty happy. And I feel like I get a lot done in the day. And those are really important to me, but rested is really off track. So that's how this was helpful for me. Um, what about you, Kirsten? So that's the only, um, this, this is page 86 right here. And my little system was to put a flag on the bottom if it was something that I wanted to circle back to. Oh, and it's it. the only one that I didn't do. Um, but I flagged it. Some of them, okay, it's not the only one that I didn't do. It's the only one that I didn't do that I wanted to circle back to. Um, so yeah, I, I read it and was like, oh, this looks good to me. <laughs> well, what was cool about it is I thought, well, now I can organize my day so that I make sure I feel accomplished. I feel happy and I feel rested. So when I say to myself, you know, I'm a napper, I love to take naps because I, I just don't sleep well at night. Um, and I haven't since I had kids. I don't know why. I just don't really. If I'm in a hotel room away from my kids, I sleep like a dream. But for whatever reason in my house, my like mom radar doesn't let me really sleep well. Not to mention I have dogs that want to sleep with me. And there's just it's just not a restful. I don't sleep well. So I've always been a napper. And lately I haven't been napping because I feel stupid napping in a pandemic. As you're like, are you kidding me? I have nothing. I, there's, you're going to nap? That's so stupid. So I haven't been napping. And I, when I read this, I went, oh, okay. If napping is really part of those top three adjectives, then I can feel better about it. It makes me feel better about saying, you know what? I'm going to go take a nap, half hour nap. Um, and it also made me feel better about my husband, the party animal who wants to stay up till two o'clock in the morning watching a movie. And when I say I want to go to bed and he goes, oh, come on. I just want to spend time with you. I can't believe you don't want to spend time with me. But he doesn't get up till 10 or 11 the next day. I get up at seven. He, he guilts me into leaving early and going to bed. And so I thought, OK, if rested is in my top three, then I can say to him, you know, this is really important. It just made it like it made me articulate what was not on track for me. So that was really helpful. And then I sat down with Bert in Georgia. I was talking about that exercise and how awesome it was and how I discovered this rested piece and how I'm going to start going to bed early and blah, blah, blah. And they both were like, well, I want to take that. I want to do that. So I walked them through this too, 10 adjectives and then break it down to five. And now you're top three and rank them in order. And they both found it very helpful. And so I was like, if weight loss is like your number one thing or, or health is your number one thing, then that's how you prioritize your day. Those are the things that are deal breakers for you. And both of them were like, oh, that's really helpful. So anyway, I thought that was a really cool exercise. Um, and it helped me a lot. Um, something that here's the things that I wrote down to read. There's a piece on guilt on page 37 that um, I thought was interesting. 
It says the guilt game, mom guilt, guilty pleasure. I feel so guilty. Ever notice how often guilt creeps into our daily conversation? Here's the truth. What we think of as guilt is often just perfectionist thought patterns in disguise. I call it the guilt game. Uh, Take the concept of mom guilt. I feel guilty when I'm at work because I'm not spending quality time with my kids. And I feel guilty when I'm with my kids because I'm not getting work done. Boy, did she describe my thought process. (laughs) Absolutely. Not necessarily with kids, but with anything. I should be working on this when I'm working on that. I was like, this is how I feel all the time. It's really just this all too familiar cycle is really just perfectionist ideals masquerading as feelings of guilt. And on the next page, I highlighted getting stuck in the perfectionist thinking trap means you're far more likely to procrastinate over the things you know are important or avoid doing them altogether. Yes. yes. That related to me um, writing. Um, I used to get really stuck in that and like, you know, oh, if I can't, if I can't write it the absolute perfect way, then it's like, you know, just <sighs> now I'm just like, you know what? I got to bang it out. I <laughs> I got deadlines. I got to bang it out. It may not be great, but this is a first draft. Right. There will be. It's not supposed to be great. It's just a first draft. But what I also thought was interesting later on in that paragraph is perfectionism is often the root cause of. Oh, the procrastinator's already read that. Um, Research also links perfectionism with a litany of mental health risks, including cortisol spikes, depression, anxiety, and mood disorders. They are more likely, uh, perfectionist thought patterns are more likely to make you stressed, depressed, and anxious. Essentially, perfectionism makes you miserable, yes. negatively impacts mental health and well-being, and is ineffective. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Yeah. I thought All that very was very true. Right. All very true, right? Yeah. Um, like, and that was the part that was super helpful. Like, again, like Kirsten said. It's not rocket science. Not like you didn't know that, but sometimes it's really helpful to hear someone else remind you of that again Mm -hmm. and again, Mm because clearly it doesn't sink in, or at least not in my head. So It doesn't in mine either, I don't think. And I wonder what it is that makes us that way. You know, do you think everybody's just a perfectionist? Yeah. I think kind of everybody I know is on some level. I can't think of anybody I know that goes, good enough's good enough. Is it an American value system? Is it, is it, what is it? Because I don't know anybody that goes, ah, it's good enough. I don't think it's a matter of just saying it's good enough. I think it's a matter of having anxiety over um, the thing. I think that lots of people are like, "Eh, this isn't my best work. Like, I don't. I don't think that a lot of people are just like happy to, (laughs) to bang out something crappy. Um, But I don't think that everyone is a perfectionist at all. I also think you're not really allowed to have good enough is good enough. Mm. Right. Like I think you are made to feel guilty if you're, if you do just good enough. Right. You know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. Sorry, I don't know if you guys hear that. The gardener is loud. Um, why is getting a B not good enough? Right. You know what I mean? Like, it's not. Like, they should be getting an A. Why? Not every kid's going to get an A in every subject. Yet, somehow, there's this sense that it should be better. Right. Like, it's almost like a pervasive thing in our culture, our mindset. I don't know. 
I think it is a cultural thing. I think we run on perfectionism in this country and uh, in a lot of ways, at least in the white collar. Yes, I, I agree with you that it's a cultural value. Interesting thought, though. Interesting thought. Um, another thing I marked was the false dichotomy. It's on page 42. Um, and this is where she was talking about not everything being black and white, where some things are, can be gray. And um, I had a, an enormous discussion with Bert about this because this weekend, Georgia wanted to go to an outdoor, socially distanced birthday party, right? Uh, only four other guests and the birthday girl. So five 16-year-old girls, supposedly on blankets, outside with masks, six to 10 feet apart in a circle. And that's that was the party. They were ordering in lunch. Every kid has their own lunch in their own container. There's no sharing. There's no buffet style. You get your sandwich, you get your sandwich, whatever it was. And we were like, it's so hard because... To let her go is to say our parenting is gray, but our parenting is very black and white. You are in a quarantine. You cannot leave the house for this reason. This is not an essential thing. This is black or white. But then there's that gray. We just had this long discussion about the gray. And we were talking about this too with like behaviors that are, you know, teenagers break the rules. I broke so many rules as a teenager. And sometimes you suspect, but have no proof that a rule has been broken. How do you parent that? Like, do you, do you, how do you parent it? And for one, with, with the, what, what our debate was with the knowledge that this is normal teenage behavior, but it is not our black and white rule, right? So Let's just say, for an example, she took a friend on a ride in, her, in a car. That's illegal for her. In California, you can't have someone your own age in the car with you when you're 16 without someone who's 20 or over with a valid driver's license. So that's illegal. And our rule is you can't do anything illegal. But it's a pretty typical teenager thing to do. And we don't have proof, only suspicion. And so how do you parent that? And I just read this about this false dichotomy and this black and white stuff. And we were like, God, it just makes everything so confusing. What do you do? The black and white is you can't do that. But the gray is, are you really that parent that's like, every single thing you do has to be black or white? You know, such a difficult thing to know how to handle. Yeah, in parenting and in life, all the gray areas, that's exactly what the where the trouble spots are. Yes. Yeah, so what she says about this false dichotomy, she says, uh, our brains are hardwired toward what psychologists call dichotomous thinking or false dilemma, which means believing that a situation is either or when in fact there's at least one other option. Yes, that's so good. You know, I was like, that is so true. There's got to be one other option in how we parent this. Like you get a warning and next time you get the black and white or what's the, how do you, you know? Yeah. I thought that that was one of the most helpful things to me. I, I wrote down about this, like the third way 
when faced with this or that options, ask yourself, are there really only two ways to do this? Only two possible outcomes. Is there a third way? Or even is there a fourth way? Or Or like or fifth. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. That part was super helpful. Yeah, it was to me too. And she talked about flagging those moments with, as soon as you say, notice yourself saying always, never, or ruined, that's like (laughs) an alarm to tell you that you should take a step back and go, is this true? What are the other options? You know, language is so important. I talk about this with Bert all the time. Bert lives in hyperbole most of the time. (laughs) So funny. This was the part that I was like, I'm reading to Max because he lives in hyperbole. Everything is black and white. Yes or no. Oh, my life is over. Yes. Really? (laughs) Yes. Bert too. This is the worst day, but I'm thinking, really? (laughs) What happened is you can't find your second shoe because your dog has hidden it from you. If you say in your brain, this is the worst day of my entire life, guess what? It's the worst day of your entire life. You, you have to have some kind of gray, right? Where you go, this sucks, but it's not the worst day of my entire life. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know. It's those, that is a good, good roadmap. Always never ruined. Always never ruined. Is it really always or never? Or ruined. So how are you going to read that to Max? What are you going to say to him? I don't know. But I, like, that's what popped up in my head because he, you know, especially during this quarantine, school sucks. It's like, this is terrible. It's the worst. Like everything is just so, so, I mean, this boy is glass half full. I mean, half empty, like always, like that's just his baseline default. And it makes me insane. I got a couple. But it's also really house. hard, like at 16. They're stupid still. <laughs> they don't have a whole lot of world experience. They don't have a different perspective. And they're in that developmental mindset where they can't see something else. Mm-hmm. So I find it very exhausting mm-hmm. parent him sometimes. <laughs> I am with you. We just had this conversation. Um, we had a massive meltdown on Sunday at my house. Massive implosion of everyone and uh, everything in that house, except Bert. Bert actually was great, but everybody else just kind of imploded. Um, And one of our conversations on Sunday was about, um, Isla was having a meltdown about school and was because school starting the following day. And obviously she can no longer sleep as long as she wants. She can no longer just be on her phone and she's going to be accountable and she's going to have to do work. And in this environment, being in this pandemic, um, she hasn't been able to do things that she would do typically. So it's really shut her down. So at one point in this parenting session, I said to both girls, here's something I keep trying to get you to understand. Dad and I know more than you do, not because we're smarter, but because we're more experienced and experience comes from age and from living your life and doing things. There is no possible way that you could have as much experience as we have. So if you put a rookie pitcher in a softball game and you have a pitcher that's been pitching for 10 years, one of them is going to handle stress, obstacles, challenges in a much calmer, better way. Why? Is he a better pitcher? 
No, he's just more experienced. So sometimes I need your brain to go, hold on. They're not trying to control me. They're not trying to boss me. They're not trying to force me. They're just trying to give me wisdom and experience based on their life. So could you please, from time to time, give me that benefit of the doubt that I'm not just being a dick saying, I need you to do this or that, that it's not for no reason, that there is actually a point to it. And I understand that point. And I'm happy to explain it to you. And of course, when I said that, we're like, oh, everything turns into an explanation with you. Everything's a conversation. You can't just say, do this, and it's over. It has to be a conversation. And I was like, well, if you would just do it, there would be no conversation. But you continue to not do it. So now you get the conversation. Looks like you would figure this out, but they don't. So we have the same thing going on in my house. Yeah. It's like, I don't understand why they can't. And I remember thinking that my parents knew nothing at this age. So yeah. I get it. I get it. But it would be nice sometimes to go, oh, you know, I think my mom has changed one or two tires in her life. Maybe she does know how to tell me how to change a tire. I've <laughs> never done it. So maybe I should get some help. You know, even stuff practical like that. But isn't this just what we've talked about with adults too, that it's like, why can't people assume best intentions of yes. your loved ones? Like people, they, your friends and your family assume best intentions because yes. they probably are well-intended. <laughs> yes. Yes. And to give people who they are. That's the thing too, is I find that part of my personal meltdown Sunday was I have worked this hard on myself. Mentally, emotionally, physically, and my kids treat me like I'm an idiot, like I have no knowledge, no experience, no history of pulling myself out of the dirt and making this life amazing. And you know what credit I get for it? None. You know what I get? I get ridiculed. I get shamed. I get, I get snobbery. I get... Uh, bullshit that I kept walking around the house Sunday going, no one treats me like this in my life, except my own family, my own family. <laughs> I had had enough of this stupid pandemic. I think I'd reached my limit. I was like, I can't see any of my friends. They understand who I am. <laughs> no but one. they also, your friends also understand that their teenagers are doing the same things <laughs> exactly. to them. <laughs> but we're not able to hang out together to talk about what our teenagers are doing yeah. in each other's houses to realize that this is not just my house. You know, yeah. I, yeah. The, 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 the evolved part of my brain gets it. Yeah. The back part goes, this is ridiculous. <laughs> we're the only ones. I mean, Bert talks about that all the time. He and Georgia have this kind of hot and cold dynamic sometimes. And I'm like, you just need to go and have a drink with Stephen Fromkin. And if you and Stephen would talk about Lily and Georgia, you would feel so much better. Each, so much better. each of you would feel so much better. So, but we can't do that. Anyway, I digress. Here's something else that really helped me a lot on page 103. I read this out loud to Bert last night because Bert is constantly looking for the new plan, the new program, the new challenge. He's a seeker. 
He is a seeker, buddy. Isn't he? I read that. Uh-huh. I was like, that's Brooke Kreischer. Um, this is about brilliance in the basics. Yes. I flagged a lot about this. You did? So Tell me what you flagged. Well, just, um, is this the part with the 80% of, no, oh, never mind. No, that's, that's is. Um, it is the start of it. It yes. is the beginning of the 80-20. Yes. Like Muhammad Ali uh, being brilliant at the basics, like no need for new and fancy things. If you focus on the basics, you can be the best. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I highlighted constantly adding novel and new can prevent you from stripping down to the essentials or, you know, actually doing the basic things at all. And I thought, isn't that the damn truth? What's the basics? Yeah. I mean, that's what Kirsten was saying at the beginning, right? That we all know this stuff and yet we don't do it. We read the next self-help book. We look (laughs) for the next solution, right? But we know we need to eat less potato chips and less ice cream. Yes, it's true. Right? So very true. Yeah. But I thought that was a great kind of like, just remember, you know, like the rules from kindergarten, just be nice, you know, eat your lunch, eat your vegetables, take your nap. Drink enough water, you know, mm-hmm. apologize when you need to. If you just go back to the basics and we add. Oh. I thought that was a great kind of like, just remember. You know, <laughs> I have no idea what was happening with my watch. It was repeating what I just said. <laughs> it's reminding you to go back to kindergarten. <laughs> go back to kindergarten. Yeah, it's saying this is good, Leanne. Remember <laughs> this. Keep with this. Keep with yeah. this. I thought that was a really great thing. Mm-hmm. To just kind of, again, realign your priorities. Yeah. Really, you should be about a healthy diet, getting enough rest, being kind, and, you know, those kind of basic ideas. I read it to Bird, and it fell completely on deaf ears. <laughs> <laughs> Immediately after that, he was like, have you heard about this food system called Trifecta? And I'm like, <laughs> no, <laughs> please tell me about this new and novel idea, which is what you just said not to be jumping on. But go ahead. Oh, that's so funny. <laughs> you know, that kind of relates to something that I flagged that I thought was so good about. She talks about all or nothing thinking mm-hmm. and about how, you know, it's like, you know, oh, this year I'm going to eat healthy. I got to redo the entire menu plan. And she's like, what about just adding one vegetable? Yeah. Right. One extra vegetable per meal. Right. If you did that, then great. You'd be having two vegetables or whatever. You'd you know be be up to one vegetable from zero. Right. To me, and you would in fact be healthier. Exactly. Yes. Right? That is actually your goal. Yeah. Yeah. And you she talks about cheating. like you know exercise every day that people are like, yeah, I'm going to exercise for an hour every day. <laughs> and then two weeks in, you know they get sick or they get busy at work or whatever. And then it just leads to this downward spiral. And she said, what about um, if you find yourself saying, I don't have time to exercise or I don't have the energy, et cetera, et cetera, whatever the things are, set a timer for five minutes and do whatever the thing is that you don't have time for or the energy for, and just do it for five minutes. So if you do jumping jacks for five minutes, you don't have time to exercise for an hour, but doing jumping jacks for five minutes or doing whatever the thing is like, I don't have time to read. Well, you could, everyone can find five minutes right, and set a right. timer and do that. And then just put it away after the five minutes, either yeah. you find like, Oh, I actually do have a little extra time. So I could keep this going or yeah. you just go, you know what? But I did it like right. doing it for five minutes is better than none at all. Um, 
I think that's really important because I think so many of us have that, again, it's that black and white thinking of just like, yeah, it has to be this way. Yeah. And it's I like, think well, so. is there a gray area? Is there something else? Is there a third option? And the third option might be the five minutes. You know, when I take five minutes, I try to read something to learn and something for entertainment at the same time, because I, I, if I find, if I'm reading to learn all the time, I stop. I like, I'm, I'm not going to, I'm, I'm now feel like it's a, it's a job. So if I allow myself to read for fun, like I always say, I only read to learn during, like during the day so that when it's time for me to go to bed, I just read for fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's been my parameters. Well, I stopped reading for fun at night because I was staying up late with my husband who's high maintenance and wants me to, you know, <laughs> you're not going to spend time with me. But this, after I read this book, I was like, you know what? Five minutes before bed, I'm just going to read for, I'm just going to read for five minutes. And then I feel like I've done something for myself and it only took five minutes. So I agree with that completely. It, and I already try, started it and I can read for five minutes if I can make it five minutes and not fall asleep, (laughs) but at least I've tried. I love that concept too. Here's another one that really got me, really got me. It's the fatigue formula. Yeah. Guys flag that at all. It's on page 122. This is um, the fatigue formula. This is her kind of like people say willpower is why they fail. And this is her debunking sort of of that. Um, It says, here's what's going on when it comes to willpower. It's actually just a form of mental energy that gets depleted throughout the day. There are two main culprits uh, when it comes to mental energy drain, decision-making and task switching. And let's talk about decision-making first. And let me tell you something. I read through this and I was like, she has actually transcribed my brain in this book. I mean, I was, that first sentence was so important. Not the first, the second one. It's the, actually a form of mental energy that gets depleted. Like yes. willpower isn't something like that mental shift is super important for people. I think. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I agree. I totally agree. But when she started saying, I'm just going to read her thought processes for one for ordering lunch where I was like, <laughs> mother, Fuck, this is me completely. Should I eat in or go out? Order something from where? What should I order? Does this dish comply with my diet? Or maybe I should cook. What should I make? Do I need to do a quick search for a recipe? Which type should I search? And which recipe should I make? Do I have these ingredients? Should I stop at the store on the way home or order online? Should I have a second helping? I was like, oh my God, that is my, that is exactly what happens for me every meal. And I was like, that I'm I'm exhausted reading that. Yeah. If my brain does that with something as basic as what's for lunch, then how many other things am I doing that with? And I don't even think about it because it's become how I functioned. So a long time ago, probably 18 self-help books ago, (laughs) you and I, uh, the three of us read, I I had started meal planning for the month. Remember? (laughs) When my husband moved back home (laughs) after the pandemic, that wasn't really working because he wanted to be in charge of what we were eating 
and he wasn't really getting super flexible. I think because he hadn't lived at home forever. But now that he's lived at home for so long, he feels like I felt in the beginning, which is complete apathy as to what we're having for dinner. Like just put something on the on the freaking table. I don't care if it's a shoe. You know, I'll eat it. Yeah. And so he's now caught up with me. And when I read this, I thought the first thing I'm doing is I'm going back to meal planning my entire month. It took and, me. And her idea about meal planning is great. Instead is. of meal planning, meal mapping, yeah. where you have like, say every Monday is meatless Monday and taco Tuesday and whatever you have some template. It doesn't mean you eat the same meal every day. Like, you know, maybe one week it's fish tacos, maybe one week it's, you know, traditional beef tacos or whatever. Like you can, you still have flexibility in that. It's not like you're eating the same meals every week, but you have a map where you're like, you don't have to think it eliminates one step of that decision. Oh, it's Monday. So therefore I'm going to plug in a meal. It makes your meal planning really easy. It does. And you're shopping here. It is. An alternative to traditional meal planning, I create a weekly meal map, which serves as a decision template for what to eat on weeknights. Creating this template offers enough structure so that we're not constantly scrambling to figure out what's for dinner. Here's her example. Monday are bowls, like rice bowls. Tuesday, tacos. Wednesday, slow cooker. Thursday, pasta. Friday, burgers. So now what here she says, for example, Taco Tuesday might include chicken filling one week, beef the following, and fish the next. Using a meal map, grocery shopping is also streamlined. Um, I I know that when I was doing all that, I said this to Bert after I read this last night. I was like, when I was planning my meals, there was so much thinking and decision-making that was totally eliminated. So I just sat down, made all the decisions at one time, and then I bought groceries on Sunday and Wednesday every week, which I can still do in the pandemic. I just ordered online. So, so on Sunday, I ordered Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and on Wednesday, I ordered through the weekend. So everything was still fresh, you know, for the most part. And if there was something odd or random, I needed really fresh, like same day fresh, I'd run out and get it. But it was eliminated so much um, clatter. Yeah. It's just like clatter. I I had this meltdown literally the other day, right before I read this. It was very funny. The same thing happens every single day, five o'clock. One person rolls in the kitchen. Hey, mom, what do you think is going to be for dinner tonight? Then the next person, what's for dinner? Hey, what do you like one after the other? And finally, like Lily, poor Lily, she (laughs) walks in and I was like, I don't know. (laughs) And then I was like, I'm sorry. This has absolutely nothing to do with you. It just has to do with the fact that every single, it's like clockwork and I'm sick of it. I'm sick of being the one to answer this question. Somebody else makes fucking dinner. I don't care. Eat a bowl of cereal. Like it doesn't matter. Um, And Lily was like, I'm like, I'm really sorry. It's not you. I promise. But, um, and then it was the next day that I had read about the meal mapping. I was like, I really need to get back to that because life was so much easier that way. It's so much easier. And, you know, I had it easy anyway. Well, I think what made it harder and overwhelming for me is now, you know, when, when I was doing this originally, I was making breakfast and lunch and packing it to go. And then having just really planning dinner. But now for some reason, because they're home, I I don't know what the difference is, but I guess because I 
uh, make lunch at lunchtime instead of at breakfast time, where I would make breakfast that they would eat and lunch that would be packed and sent with them. So I really was only cooking two times a day. Mm-hmm. So I even would like pencil in lunch stuff. So I made sure I had the supplies. But that adding lunch that you actually prepare in the middle of the day sent me to the moon. I was like, I Same. can't. Same. I can't keep up. Oh, I'm like a short order cook. I, mean, <laughs> I need like a wheel with tabs that I spin and go and fried chicken. Who wants it? You know? Um, and I just, I think I threw the whole system out the window, partly because Bert was rejecting my plan because he was super <laughs> excited and I get it. He was, you know, he, he, we don't have a normal life. He's never home for a whole week, week after week after week. So I got it. I let it go, but I'm picking it back up. That was a big one. So the decision-making was one part of it, and the task switching was the other part. Yeah. Talk to me about that, ladies. Any of you do any of that? I feel like that's all I do all day long. <laughs> I have a, like a laundry list of things to do. So I start one thing. I was like, oh, my God, but I should be doing this. So I do something else. And then like all day, and then nothing gets done. My laundry list is still the same length because I've done tiny bits and pieces of each one. Because I don't feel like I, sh- I don't f- I'm spending too much time on one thing, which is it's all just a stupid cycle that becomes really overwhelming, and you feel like you've accomplished nothing all day long. So, yeah. Yes, I'm the same. I said to Bert, "I'll be unloading the dishwasher, <laughs> trays out, yeah, unloading, and I'll go. Oh shit, I need to change the laundry. Yeah, exactly. Walk away from the dishwasher, change the laundry at the laundry. Go." you know what? The garbage hasn't been rolled in from the alley. I better go, go to the alley. 45 minutes later, I come back in the kitchen and go, Oh yeah, I was in the middle of the dishwasher. The dog's in the dishwasher. You're like, Oh man. I, yeah. Yes. The pandemic has really exacerbated that because we're home all the time. So we're all, it just, there's this sense that we should be doing all of that stuff all the time. I'm muting myself. My dog is barking. And my dishwasher runs twice a day these days. Like it's just a constant cycle because we are home so much and we are using that many more dishes and whatever. So it's like, here we go again. (laughs) Yes. I feel the same way. This task switching, I said to Bert, I think I'm just going to be massively aware. And I wonder if it is partly because we're on so many electronics and what she described, you know, when you have your browser open, you have 15 windows open. (laughs) One's for home improvement. One's for the vet's office to make an appointment. One is directions to them all. One is in your light. You have all these things going at one time. You know, I had set up a while back where I only checked my email three times a day and I stopped everything and sat down. I totally, that's gone out the window in this pandemic, totally gone out the window. And I said to him, I'm, I'm going back to the meal planning and I'm going back to checking my email three times a day and not worrying about it in between. And I'm going to be really mindful of not leaving the dishwasher in mid-empty and moving to something else and just going if I forget. Because what I do is I go, if I don't do it now, I'll forget. So I'll leave the dishwasher open because I'll have to remember that. And then I'll go do the other thing so I don't forget. And then in the middle of that, I'll remember something else that I don't want to forget. Instead of, like the other day, Uh, After I read this book, I was like, you know what? I have notepads all over my house like this, little notepads all over my house. I'm just going to stop stopping what I'm doing 
uh, and going to do the other thing. And I'm going to write down the thing I'm afraid I'm going to forget. And then it's there. So when I'm done with the dishwasher, even if it's as stupid as laundry, because I think what happens is your brain gets in the habit of functioning that way. So it gets lazy at remembering the simple things like the laundry because you've trained it to stop what you're doing and go to the next thing and then stop what you're doing and go to the next thing. So I'm just going to start writing down because that's what I did the other day. And I wrote down the stupidest things like change the light bulb, change the air conditioning filters, the stuff that I would have just stopped and gone and done and then forgotten what I had stopped to have gone and done that. Or if you don't stop and do it, then you forget to go back to the light bulb. Like that's what happens all the time where you're like, wait a minute, I'm laying in bed at night going, oh, fuck, I forgot the light bulb. Yes. You know, and then you can't fall asleep. And then it's the sleep cycle where you're not rested. And exactly. Yeah. It's ridiculous. So I have, I have these in every room in my house, literally with a pen. And I was like, I'm just not, I'm not going to do that anymore. If I start folding laundry, I'm going to finish it and I'll just write down what I need to do because I forget everything lately. Yeah. Are you still muted, Kirsten? No, I unmuted (laughs) myself. Pepper was just going bananas. I think we were getting mail or something. Heaven forbid. Heaven forbid. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Um, I wrote down something about, um, she calls it the circle cycle. Um, Remember that. um, She talks about growth can't be noticed steadily. We expect our growth in whatever we're, you know, whether it's exercise or um, work or whatever the thing is, we expect the growth to be slow and steady and that we should, and it is slow and steady, but we expect to be able to notice each benchmark. Mm -hmm. But then she says, what about like with your kids, if you watch your kids height and a lot of the time there's a long plateau and then all of a sudden they grow several inches and you're like, oh my God, how did that happen? It's like you expect that or the same thing with teeth. Do you remember that when babies? I missed this whole, I don't even know. I don't, I I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. I think it was early on um, in the book and um, the end of the book. Yeah. I I remember that um, with Camille's teeth, we had gone to do, did you ever do go to the mommy movies? The, um, Uh, uh, the movie theaters would run a regular like um, adult themed, not an adult movie, but like, You know, a grown up movie movie at 10 a.m. And it would be open to if you had babies, bring your baby and just know that expect to the lights are going to be like low, but not completely down. It's not going to be the perfect movie going experience, but you get to see a movie on the big screen. You get to bring your baby, feed your baby. They have diaper tables set up. So everybody's there with the baby. And so if there's a baby crying or babbling or whatever, Everybody knows the deal. It's not, you don't have to miss the movie because of that. And um, I used to do this when um, Camille was little. And I remember one time in the middle of the movie, she all of a sudden went like, gave a couple of squawks and then one blood curdling scream. And I reached into her mouth and she had a tooth where there was none before. So it was like the one time that I was like, oh, I isolated because I, I had my finger in her mouth and she was sucking on my finger and chewing and whatever. And then all of a sudden, oh my God, she just got a tooth. Like, right. like boom. Um, but that is how it happens. Like, it's not like, you know, you think it's going to be like this microscopic amount. And it's all of a sudden she went from having no tooth to a tooth. All right. <laughs> and, um, but then she, she applies that to like growth with 
exercise, sometimes it just feels like oh, I'm on the same like resistance on the elliptical machine, or I'm you know lifting the same weights. And when's it going to get better? When's it going to get better? And sometimes you go from 10 to 20 pounds, um, being able to, you know, mm. being able to add like 10 pounds. And it's not just like, oh, I can add a pound every week or a pound every day. It's like all of a sudden a big jump and that you have to sort of have more trust in the process. Right. But if you're doing the right things, you are getting to the right place, but not, I don't know, that really resonated to, with me for some reason. Um, That's great. I love that because that is right, especially the analogy of the kid's height. Yeah. You'll go like six months and nothing, and all of a sudden they grow literally four inches. Or like overnight. All of a sudden yeah. your kid wakes up and you're like, wait, what just happened? You're yeah. significantly taller today than you were. Yes. Yes. Yeah. yeah, that's a great visual, yeah. right? Yeah. That's a great visual to say this is how it works sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, I liked her how she talked about her, your environment. And how that affects how you can achieve goals. Um, as she was, uh, t- how that is not always discipline that gets in your way, lack of discipline. Sometimes it's your environment. One of the examples she used was if you want to eat more vegetables, take them out of the drawer and put them on the middle shelf. Then you see them. You go, oh, there's a vegetable. I, I missed remember. this part. I didn't read this, but I love it. Like, it's oh, so yeah, I don't remember this, although I do remember the vegetable thing. But the days that I exercise are the days that I lay out my exercise clothes yeah, and yeah. I literally put them in a path from my bedroom <laughs> to the bathroom so that I see them. I literally have to trip over them. And I'm like, oh, that's right. I wanted to exercise first thing. So I grab them, bring them into the bathroom and get <laughs> dressed then. That's exactly, um, exactly the example she used, except with a yoga mat. Same thing. She was like, you want to do yoga? Put your yoga mat like with your car keys. So, you know, I'm going to yoga today. And I thought that was a really great way to um, look at that. She says, not um, how your environment is set up. If things are out of sight, difficult to access or hard to find, you're less likely to maintain the habit with which those items are associated. Conversely, when environmental barriers are removed and objects are in sight, easy to access or simple to find, you're more likely to adopt or maintain an associated habit. Um, And her example was, if you want to eat more vegetables, place them on the center shelf of your refrigerator rather than the back of the crisper drawer. It's so true. Those vegetables are hidden away. I know. You know what's really funny? Before I read this book, I was trying to think how to get Isla to eat more fruits and vegetables. And I thought to myself, I'm going to put all the mustard Bert has like eight jars of mustard. He's mustard on everything. I'm going to put that in the fruit drawer. I'm going to put the fruit where the mustard is. So she opens and she sees fruit and because it is hidden. And, yeah. you know, uh, I don't know if you've ever asked your teenager to look for something. <laughs> <laughs> but they go like this. If this is the fridge, they go, I don't see it. <laughs> and then you're like, well, you have to move shit around. It's not right in the front. It's going to be in a drawer on it. Look on the door. Oh, I'm familiar with that. Yes. Uh, I mean, you're like, seriously, I looked for it. Did you really? Isla lost her cord for her computer on Sunday night. Meltdown. Can't find this cord. And I was like, well, what bag was it in? It was in this Aviator Nation bag. Well, have you looked for the bag? Yeah. Okay. I walked in her room. Ladies, the first thing I saw was that bag. It was laying in the middle of her floor. And I went, is that the bag you're talking about? She went, oh yeah. I was like, so where exactly did you look for this bag? It was in 
Yeah. Do you know what though? That's called like um, clutter fatigue and I get it all the time. It's like you see something, something is not where it's supposed to be, but it's been there for so long that you literally block it out. You literally, you have a literal blind spot. I, I, I swear I've read this in a book. I think it might've been. I believe it. Clutter fatigue. And then all of a sudden one day you're like, this is bullshit. This place looks like shit. And all of a sudden you're like cleaning and cleaning and like, why is this here? And then you would notice it then if when something like for the week after when, when things are perfect, you notice when something's out of place, but when it's like happens like that, I don't know. Have you been in Isla's room? Because you are (laughs) describing it exactly. It is cluttered. And as much as I ask her to clean it, the next day it'll look exactly the same. And I have to say, my dad used to say he would he was afraid he'd get snake bit in my room because there was so much shit on the floor. He's like, there's got to be a snake somewhere in this room. He would never. I was terrible at her age, so I can't really say much. But um, anyway, <laughs> so there's hope for her. That's good, though. I think you, there is hope for her. Hope. I think yeah. there is. Let me see. Oh, let me see. There's. Another thing she said on page 99 about a goal flip that I thought was interesting. This is another handy dandy exercise, Kathy. I didn't like this exercise. (laughs) I didn't do the exercise, but I I didn't do the exercise because this is something I already do, but I like it. I I liked what she was talking about, but I did not do the exercise either because I was like, I, I, I understand what you're saying. So this is called a goal flip. And she says to start with a result and then work backwards from that result. And then this is the part that I really liked because it's easy enough to say, hey, I want to lose 10 pounds. Okay, I'm going to change my diet. I'm going to work out. The part I really liked was to set many milestones and big wins. So for, for your process and then infuse joy in what you're doing. So working out sucks. It freaking sucks, especially if you're really trying to lose weight or change your body. It is not easy. But the mindset of of joy approaching that goal is very helpful, I think. But the mini milestones, um, they keep you focused and feeling as though you're making progress. Think about mini milestones as daily to weekly progress markers and big wins as progress you can celebrate and savor along the way. Write lists of both on the same piece of paper. I didn't really do that. But that's something I've always asked Bert to do is to stop and celebrate when something's happened, because I think it affects your self-esteem positively to really mark a progress or an accomplishment, not just to say, hey, that was awesome, but to really mark it somehow. Mm -hmm. I read that in one of my writing books recently that they were talking about, you have to celebrate the process and, you know log that, like log your pages or whatever, because everybody thinks like, oh, the celebration is when the book is published. Well, that's an automatic celebration. Like that's yeah. a built-in celebration. You don't even need the extra celebration. So celebrate when you get to 20 pages and right. to 50 pages and whatever. That's what she was saying. Exactly. Many milestones in the process of writing a book might be writing for three hours a day for four out of five days this week. That's a milestone. Celebrate it you know, completing a full draft of a chapter by the end of next week. And then big wins would be finishing a draft of the entire section or finalizing the cover design or turning in the first draft of the manuscript. Those are big wins. Um, Yeah, I just think they're so valuable. When I 
sold my first screenplay. I went to the jewelry store and bought myself a piece of jewelry. And I couldn't really afford it. But I thought every time I put this necklace on, I want to remember I bought this with money from a screenplay I wrote and sold so that every time I put on this necklace, I'm proud of myself. And I love that necklace to this day. And I haven't always done that for myself, Mm -hmm. but that one time I did that. And I have to tell you, it is such a positive, ongoing gift that every time I wear that necklace, I go right on, right on. I did that by myself. I paid for that by myself with money. I earned doing what I wanted to do. It's really powerful. So I think that could be implemented in anything you want to do. Yeah. I noticed that the other day I was doing a digital purge. I was like um, deleting old screenshots because I screenshot like everything. Anytime I want to, that's like my version of a post-it note, just screenshot it. (laughs) But sometimes I don't go back and look at all the screenshots. So I was going through purging and I went, why do I have all of these screenshots of um, the the health app um, on iPhone? like, what, what is all this? And I went through and looked at it and it was celebrating um, many milestones of when my mileage was increasing, when I was training, when I used to do a lot of distance running and I was looking through it and I was like, oh, I'm, yeah, I'm glad that I knew to do that. Like, I, I'm glad that I felt proud of that. I'm proud that I did that. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, I think um, I'm not good at the many milestones. I'm good at the, at the big, I'm good at the big celebration, you know? So I think I'm going to, I think what I'm going to do <laughs> is make a list of things that I would like either to do or to have or to um, experience. And so that I have something to go to, because I think that's part of the problem too, is I go, woohoo, but what am I going to do? I mean, you know, but I think maybe I'll do that because there's been a lot of milestones with this house that I haven't really celebrated. Um, Bert and I just had a really big thing happen uh, in our career that I haven't really celebrated. And so I think I need to do that. So I'm going to take her advice with that too. Anything else about this book, you guys, that stood out for you? Um, well, just sort of piggybacking onto finding joy in the process. Um, she just, she really highlights, find ways to make the process enjoyable um, to you, whatever, you know, whatever the thing, again, exercise or writing. And I'm applying it to writing again from this book, um, Still Writing by Danny Shapiro. Um, She's a a memoirist. And um, in that, it's a writing book. And she, (laughs) she goes on for several pages about seeing this perfect lounge chair in a store and that she visited, it was, you know, out of the price range, not the sort of thing that she would normally buy, a very expensive chair, but she just loved it so much. And she visited the store so often that the employees at the store would say, oh, are you visiting your chair? Um, <laughs> and she finally ended up buying it because she felt stalled in her office. Her office was set up very functionally and, um, you know, she'd written lots of books in there but she needed something to help her enjoy the process more. So she bought this beautiful lounge chair that is in her office. And she said, and sometimes I go and I have a nice soft blanket there and I bring my notes over there. I'll bring my laptop and I'll sit in my nice lounge chair to just find a, you know, 
it's just her finding a way to make the process enjoyable. And obviously, like, not everyone can spend a lot of money on an expensive chair for their office or, or even want to, but just, you know, finding whatever those things are, like, for writing, like having the perfect beverage or the perfect cozy blanket or whatever it is to make the process just a little bit more enjoyable. Yeah. I don't think about that much either. I'm such a put your head down and plow through person. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. Yeah. That's Um, a really good point that you bring up because a a moment of your focus and time could change your experience entirely. You're just taking a moment to go, wait a minute, this is actually fun. (laughs) I I do that sometimes with this house where I go, there's so much to do with this house. And we chose not to hire a designer except for the kitchen. We chose to have me do everything, which I actually really love. And then some days I go, oh my God, this is so terrible. I can't possibly get this done. And I have to stop and go, no, actually, you uh, you actually like this. Yeah. So <laughs> deep breath. It's okay. It'll get done when it gets done. Don't worry about it. This is what you chose. So you do have to kind of recalibrate yourself sometimes. That's really great. Anything to make the process enjoyable. And it doesn't really have to be anything big. You know, one of my favorite things in the world are candles. You can buy a candle at the Dollar Tree. And I like I like candles. So maybe my mini milestone is that I get to go and buy myself a new candle. You know, this you can buy a candle for 10 bucks. It doesn't have to be, you know, these $50, $60 candles fancy people buy. So maybe... Maybe that's what I'll do is I'll start setting up a remind, I'll make a little list of the certain things that I really love. I love blended frappuccinos <laughs> because I feel like they're so bad. And so maybe, but maybe if I hit a milestone, I can have one because it's like a celebration has a purpose instead of just, I'm just a child walking in and going, can I have a mocha frappuccino with whipped cream, please? <laughs> I think it's fascinating that you're so um, like guilty, that you're guiltily announcing this. I totally love frappuccinos. It's like an adult <laughs> milkshake. It's, they're the yes, best. Yes, it is like an adult milkshake. They yeah. are the best. But I feel like the, the calories are just a waste of calories and it's an adult milkshake. I mean, what am I doing drinking a milkshake? You shouldn't be doing that. Oh I think I maybe am very hard on myself and don't realize it. I think, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But it's all, it's like that part of all or nothing. Like, why can't you as an adult in a healthy lifestyle, have an adult milkshake once in a while? You're not doing it every day. Why can't you when you're like, you know what? I finished that writing class. I said I was going to do, I'm buying myself a freaking Frappuccino. Yep. Why is that so wrong? Why is it so hard? Yeah. It's, it, it, it's really hard to do. You know, as you were talking, I was thinking about this. I have been trying to take a different, I've gained some weight back. You know, I started working out with a trainer. I still work out with him three days a week. I am super strong. And my goal with working out with him was not to lose weight. It was to become really strong. But when you start losing weight, it feels kind of amazing. (laughs) And I kind of was like, Ooh, I'm gaining weight back because he had me eating, which is really smart and very healthy, lean protein and dark leafy greens. Um, And that was kind of it. Oatmeal, strawberries, almonds. It was a very restricted diet. And I knew I wouldn't be able to eat like that for my whole life. But of course, you know, uh, really when I fell and went in the hospital, I kind of stopped 
eating that way, super strict. Because the killer for me was the pineapple flavored jello in the hospital. <laughs> <laughs> I ate that pineapple flavored jello and I was like, doing to myself. I mean, there's pineapple flavored jello. This is amazing. And I started eating shit again. <laughs> I had so much joy from that pineapple jello that I thought I must be really deprived. <laughs> that's when it started. That if jello is what it took, then yes, you <laughs> were very deprived. And then I come to find out I really was. I did lose weight too fast, which was part of why I fell and injured myself was I lost weight too fast, whatever. Anyway, I stopped eating so strictly and, you know, Thanksgiving and, you know, Christmas and the holidays and I gained seven pounds back, which seven pounds is a lot. That's like 35% of what I lost, 40% of what I lost. And so I've been beating myself up about that for a while. And I had to think to myself, wait a minute, my intention with working out with a trainer was to fix my back and to get really strong. And that has been accomplished. I have no back pain and I am really strong. And I plan on working out with him until we both, one of us drop dead because I feel so good physically. So I'm just not going to worry about it. I mean, I can't eat in an out burger every day. That's stupid and irresponsible, but I haven't been doing that anyway. So if my body working out intensely three days a week and eating reasonably is 125 pounds, then that's what it is. I have to be okay with it and let it go. So I think some of that is another piece of what's been running in my brain. When I read this, I went, oh, yeah, remember you. The joy of this was that you were getting stronger. Once you got focused on losing weight, it wasn't as fun anymore. You know, it was more result oriented in the wrong way where I just wanted to be really strong and I haven't felt this strong in a very long time. So that's the purpose. So have the Frappuccino is what you're saying, Kirsten. (laughs) (laughs) Once in a while. Yes. Once in a while. Once in a while. Okay. Um, There was a quote in the end of the book that I kind of liked. I kind of liked. Uh, She says, when Andrew and I got married almost two decades ago, we decided to write our own vows. Stuck on what to say, I conferred with my dad, asking him if I could borrow from the vows he had written for my mom more than 40 years earlier. From those 40-year-old wedding vows, I took the following line. I have only one life, and it is only so long, and I choose to spend it with you. Now, I'd like to share part of those vows with you. You only have one life. It is only so long. I hope you'll spend it feeling good. And I thought, that's pretty good. Mm-hmm. I want to spend every day feeling good. So I don't know. I got a lot out of this book. Yeah, um, me too. I really I liked it. Um, I did have notes like you. I did feel like it was um, very terminology heavy and everything was a formula. And and that's some of those formulas really uh, helped me a lot. But um, overall, I thought it was a very good book you know, helpful book. What do you think, ladies? Yeah, I agree. I thought it was definitely helpful. I thought it could have been streamlined a little little bit, you know, like even the, you know, we were just talking about the goal flipping. Like that's a terminology that has been, nobody uses that terminology except for her, right? But it's a concept that is clearly out there. Start at the end and work backwards, right? right? 
So the idea of adding this extra terminology kind of threw me off a little bit. Like right. I, I didn't love that piece of it. Right. I liked what she had to say more than I liked the way in which she said it sometimes, I guess. Um, yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. What about you, Kirsten? Yeah, I really liked it. I got a lot out of it. And um, <laughs> put it this way, I've been purging a lot of books off my bookshelves. And um, uh, a lot of them have been books that we've, <laughs> we've done on, on previous uh, book clubs uh, on podcasts. And um, I'm not planning on purging this one. That's good. Hold on one second. There's a guy asking me about a ladder outside. All right. So now the next question. What do we read next? Because you know that's what she's going to ask. Oh, boy. What's the next question? Oh, no, I'm not done yet. I'm not done. Oh, okay. Sorry. (laughs) Never mind. She has a downloadable workbook for anybody who's interested in the downloadable workbook. Let me see where it is. Um, I'll read it out to you. I have it. 140. Oh, wrong page. Wrong page. Hold on. Hold on. The I downloadable didn't go check out her website actually. You did? You did? I didn't. I meant to and I didn't. I forgot about yeah, it. Yeah, I meant to as well and didn't. Yeah. Okay. For a downloadable feel good challenge workbook, visit realfoodwholelife.com. That's realfoodwholelife.com slash F G E book. Feel good ebook. Effect. E means ebook. Effect. E-book. No, effect. Feel good effect. Feel good effect book. Oh, duh. I thought it was ebook. <laughs> okay. Close, maybe. <laughs> yeah, and she has a, I think she has a, a blog. She has a podcast, Feel Good yeah. Effect podcast. I think that website is the website she maintains on a regular basis. Like, I think that's, yeah, that's, her site. that's the piece that I didn't get a chance to look at. Me neither. But I did good. I took, I took copious notes. I did a Kirsten. <laughs> Knocked it out of the park this time. <laughs> so what are we reading next? Huh? <laughs> That's what I said. <laughs> I was like, you know, she's asking us that question next. <laughs> Anybody have anything they want to read? I don't actually have anything on my list right now. I don't know. I have so many things on my list, but I don't have my list here. Well, um, what, what were you preparing for today? <laughs> why, why would you show up without your list? I mean, come on. What do you think this is? My show? <laughs> okay, so I started reading a book. It's a memoir called The Liar's Club. Has anybody read this book? Yes. Mary Carr. Yeah. yeah. Did you yeah, like it's it? It's a classic. It's good. Yeah. It's okay. It hasn't grabbed me yet. Yeah. Okay, so let's not read that. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing? No one has anything they want to read? Nothing on their list? <sighs> My list is revolving so fast that I, um, okay, I'm, I did pull up a list now, now that I've been publicly shamed. Um, <laughs> well, guilt, guilt. <laughs> yeah, I'm reading a, a billion memoirs these days because I'm starting my um, continuation, my second class on Thursday. Mm-hmm. Um, that's great. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, that's exciting. Yeah, I'm very excited. Should we Most... go completely off the beaten path and read a classic? Like Jane Eyre or something? Oh, I love Jane Eyre. I love that freaking book. Yeah, spoiler alert. I, <laughs> I love that. Spoiler alert, two <laughs> thumbs up. Let's go ahead <laughs> right now. Jane Eyre. I love that. I can yeah. never remember which Bronte wrote it, 
but I love it. <laughs> this is our mini book club, mini book, book club <laughs> at the end of book club. Um, Jane Eyre, the movie was on the other day, recorded it, have watched it three times. Thank you. Oh, which one? Oh, really? There's, which one? There's more which, than one? There are so many Jane Eyre movies. Yeah. I don't know which one. I think it's pretty recent. Oh. Okay. It's pretty good. I mean, there's a lot, you know, the book is so much better. You know what? Actually, I just heard of a book that um, is based on Jane Eyre, but it's like Jane Eyre set in the South. Shut um, up. <laughs> no, serious. Let me look it up right now. I just flagged it the other day thinking that sounds good because I love it. It's called The Wife Upstairs what? by Rachel Hawkins. And it's on my list of what I want to read. I'd be into that. Would you it be into is that a delicious yeah, twist never heard on um, a gothic classic on Jane Eyre. Um, Southern charm with atmospheric domestic suspense. Um, newly arrived to Birmingham, Alabama, Jane is a broke dog walker uh, in Thornfield Estates <laughs> instead of Thornfield Hall. And um, a gated community full of McMansions, shiny SUVs, and bored housewives. The kind of place where no one will notice if Jane lifts the discarded tchotchkes and jewelry off the side tables of her well-heeled clients. Um, blah, blah, blah. Where, uh, her luck changes when she meets Eddie Rochester, recently oh, widowed. Rochester. He's Thornfield Estate's most mysterious resident. Anyway, blah, blah, blah. It sounds good, though. Okay. We could read that. I don't know. It doesn't have to be your next book. But. Have you ever read Jane Eyre, Kathy? A long time ago. Yeah, I haven't read it recently, but yeah. I haven't either, but I downloaded After I watched the movie, I was like channel surfing late at night and the movie came on and I stayed up till two watching it because I was like, <laughs> oh, Jane Eyre, the movie? Who knew? I, wa- I recorded it and I was like, I'll record it because I'm sure I'll fall asleep. Did not. Stayed up for the whole movie. It was 2.30 in the morning before I went to bed. So that one was my fault. Not <laughs> And then I got up like two days later when it was raining. I watched it again and then I watched it one more time. I was like, wow, I guess I really did enjoy this book. I remember really enjoying the book when I read mm-hmm. it, but I downloaded it. I was like, I think I might read that book again because it's been so long. Yeah. I don't know the last time I read that book. It was really good. Yeah. All right. So the wife upstairs, I'm looking forward to that. That'll be awesome. <laughs> That's pretty funny. Did they make it more present day than a dog walker (laughs) (laughs) I read not long ago by Sue Monk kid that was really good what was it called it was about um the little girl in the south who got a slave for her birthday obviously it's a period piece you're talking about this book oh this was such a good book if you guys haven't read it Mm -mm. Uh, I haven't, but I was just gifted a Sue Monk kid book. Um, this um, one. Uh, my friend just sent me this one, The Book of Longings. Um, Sue, let me see what the name of it is really quick. Uh, it was so good. Um, not the Secret Life of Bees, The Invention of Wings. It was a really good read. Each chapter is written at, like like that um, memoir that we wrote where one chapter he wrote, the next chapter was his mother. Oh, it's yeah. like that. So one chapter is the white girl and one chapter is the black girl. And it starts from childhood and goes all the way through adulthood. And the white woman is based on 
she ends up as an adult being with Lucretia. What's her name? The some um, shit. The woman who about voting suffrage suffrage movement woman Lucretia. What's her name? She's a character in this book. But the, uh, this woman and the the woman and her sister are based on real women. This is not a true story, but these two white women are. Um, characters based on real white women who were sisters who had this kind of story where they rejected slavery from childhood and were ostracized lived in Charleston. And they had a, a very difficult time growing up because they were women who had brains and she really wanted to be a lawyer and wanted to work and wanted to have brains. And it just wasn't allowed, wasn't allowed. She wasn't even allowed to learn to read. And she had taught, she learned how to read. And when she got too willful, they took that away from her. But in the interim, she had taught her slave who she rejected, who she wrote a letter on her birthday to her parents saying, I don't want this gift. She was forced to have it. And it's just such, it was such a good story. It was so well written. It was very cool that every other chapter was each person's voice and experience. I thought she did a great job as good as a white woman can, I guess, of trying to put herself in the place of being a young black slave in this time period, you know, it was really good. Lucretia Mott. Lucretia Mott. Yes. Lucretia Mott. Thank you. I knew her name was Lucretia something. (laughs) I was trying to bring up the song from Schoolhouse Rock. You remember the song from Schoolhouse (laughs) Rock that talks about suffering? I was like, her name's Lucretia, Lucretia in the song. (laughs) Do you remember that? You should listen to the song again. She's in the last rock song. I just couldn't remember her last I haven't heard that song since I was like 10 years old. Oh, we used to play it on the DVD player in our car. The, the school house rock videos. Cause I was determined to teach my children without them knowing they were learning. Yeah. Especially people who are. Why did those go away? Those were so good. Brilliant. Right. That's how Isla learned her multiplication tables. Oh Yeah. Because she had a really hard time. Memorizing is not a, a good thing for dyslexics. They have a really hard time memorizing. You know, multiplication tables is kind of memorizing. So I was like, schoolhouse rock. Let's just listen to, you know, 369, 12, 15, 18, 21, 24, 27, 30. <laughs> That's how she does. <laughs> Threes even now. <laughs> Smart. Right. (laughs) All right. Well, thank you, ladies, for this, as always. I always enjoy talking to you guys about the books. And I always love that we don't always have the same opinion or point of view. And someone catches something someone else didn't catch. No, absolutely. Uh, Like half of the things that you caught, I was like, where was I when I was reading this? (laughs) Same thing. I, but then I got, when I would flip to the page, I was like, oh, that's interesting because I have the opposite page flagged. You'd have 101 and I'd have 102 and so interesting. That's so great. Yeah. It means we're a good team. <laughs> okay. The wife upstairs. That's the wife nice. upstairs. It's, see, it's on my notes so I won't forget. <laughs> <laughs> well, have a good day. Thank you. You too. Bye. Bye.